Let you do something in a moment. It's really quite important that we actually activate and stir our spirit because it's no use just having information. In the end, the only knowledge you really have is what becomes experiential. And so you're going to, re- you're going to need to experience things before these things start to come alive inside you. And uh, so I will lay out some very simple, clear teaching around these areas, but we also need to experience the life of the Spirit and the flow of the Spirit as well. If you don't experience anything much, then you just have a lot of theory and knowledge. And uh, I remember I taught one man how to stand up in his, uh, in his spiritual leadership in the home. And uh, I showed him how to pray, and he stood up and prayed. The next day he rang away and said, I'm sick today. I said, don't be surprised. I've, I've called you to stand up and to your place that God positioned you to speak and govern the spiritual atmosphere of your marriage and home. So clearly there's been a problem there, and it was only when you stepped up that you found it. So I said, persevere. And he persevered, and then the problems flushed to the surface, and then there was able to be ministry, deliverance, and a whole shift in the dynamic of that relationship. So people don't know it's real until they start to operate in it. And so we do have to experience the things of the Spirit. And I'll show you just quite simply how you do this as we go. But what I want us to do is I want us to constantly, over the whole of the seminar, I want us to be strengthening and developing internally in our spirit dimensions. Because if we don't do that, we don't have the strength. We need both the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and we need to let God help us to grow. And uh, there's a great scripture where Paul prays in, in Ephesians 3 that you would be strengthened with might or dunamis, the power of God, in your inner man. And I'll show you in, the, in one of the last sessions just the, some simple things you can do that will help build your spirit man and change the whole atmosphere which you carry around your life. Most people live under what's around them. Most people live under the spiritual prevailing environment, which in New Zealand is passivity and apathy and rejection. And these are quite, and, and passive rebellion. So those are the common things that you find in the Kiwi culture, and wherever you're in it, you'll feel that. And so what, what happens is, until we learn how to stand up and alter the spiritual atmosphere around us, we don't even realize what we've accepted as normal. So I can tell you now, most people accept as normal something that actually is a place of bondage and lack of freedom. So if you would just accept the challenge to experiment over tonight and tomorrow and see what happens as you do certain things to unlock and free up your spirit and the flow of your spirit. And I would expect by the end of tomorrow that you're flowing and the Spirit of God is moving freely through you, touching lives. And that doesn't mean it's the end of the journey, but what it does mean is you're starting to, starting to explore what it is to flow in the Spirit. When you got baptized in the Spirit, it was an entrance to the realm of the Spirit. It was just a gateway experience, but we have to learn to go on in those areas. Amen? Okay, so what we're going to do is this. In a moment, we're going to get everyone praying in tongues, and uh, I'm going to just get you to do it in different ways, and I want you to explore some various aspects of praying in tongues. The Bible says, when a man prays in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 14, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. In other words, when you're praying in tongues, your spirit is now being stirred, being active and giving expression in the earth. And 
Not only that, you are praying in a language the Holy Spirit is giving you. So when you're praying in tongues, the Spirit of God, and joined to your spirit, is expressing his life through you. And so there is always an outworking of that. So one of the most powerful gifts entering us into the realm of the Spirit is the gift of tongues. One of the most neglected gifts, and I have to keep stirring believers all the time and continually to arise and begin to explore what that gift can do. So we want to do some of that while we're here over the weekend. Okay, so the first thing we'll do, I'm not going to get anything more than about a minute. So what we're going to get you to do is just stand up, and I want you to pray in tongues for 30 seconds, see what it feels like, and see what it feels like in the atmosphere. So let's just do that. Are you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Let's begin to pray in tongues. Okay, just stop now. Okay, just stop. That's our start point. You're going to have a start point. So that's just the start point. All right, then now, what I feel when, I, when, I, when, I, when I'm in an atmosphere where people are praying, I my, open my heart to feel what is present there. And what I feel is that people are, are, uh, are expressing, but it's relatively, it's, it's measured. It's just measured. You can feel it. It's like it's measured. You just you give it so much, but that's it. So I want us to actually break out of that because your, your spirit must find expression through your soul and your body, and it's your body resists and your soul resists. So we want to just get you to shift your body. So this time what we're going to do is we're going to pray again, and I want you to pray as loudly as you can, give voice to your tongues, and I want you just to shake your body, make your body be obedient because our body just wants to sleep and it wants to eat and it doesn't want to do stuff. And our spirit always wants to pray. Our flesh, which is our body and our soul, just resists it. So what I want you to do, I want you to shake your body as if you were making your body just come into alignment because inside your spirit is rising up to pray and speak out in this heavenly language. So let's do it now. And I want you to do it as strongly as you can. And notice what happens in terms of the flow of energy in the room and in your personal body as you do this. Ready? About 30 seconds. One, two, three. Shabababashi kababaratai. Ella bababababashi kababaratai. Ola bababababashi kababariatai. Ella baranda makarabariatai. Ella bababababashi kababarotu. Ola bababababashi kababariatai. Ella bababababashi kababaratai. Ella bababababashi kababaratai. Ola bababababashi kababariatai. Ella bababababashi Okay, just stop now. All right, now what change did you notice that time? How many noticed a change? You just Okay, what did you notice? More, yeah, okay, more vibration, you're right, yeah, okay, yeah. More freedom, more freedom. You found freedom. Now, isn't it interesting? Free, how many found more freedom that time as you're praying? Now, all I got you to do, it's the silliest of things really, was just shake your body to get your body to do what your spirit wants to do, express strongly. 
And, and we have to understand that our body resists our spirit. And so you have to take dominion. One of the first place to get dominion is over just your own body. And, you know, you need to learn how to discipline your body. And so I found one of the simplest things is just shake your body and make it wake up. Just make it wake up. Wake up! Learn to command your body. Just speak to your body from your spirit. So you'll find that if you will arise in your spirit and develop your spirit life, your body and your soul will respond. And, and then you'll find there's a lot of energy inside you. It's spiritual energy. It's not just a natural thing. What I was doing was getting the shaking was to get you just to make your body do what it needs to do, just to yield up and be involved and engaged in praying. Okay? Now, the other thing to do is get your soul involved in that as well. So we're going to get body and stuff. So what we're going to do, first of all, we'll just get your body involved again. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph, all you people. So I want you to just for a moment now, just close your eyes and get your soul, start to get your soul. Now, the way you get your soul in line, you see your soul is connected to your spirit and your soul is connected to your body. So your soul and body form the flesh, your soul and spirit form the inner man, and our soul has to be renewed. So what I want you to do is just to focus your mind and your thoughts on this. We're going to focus our thoughts. We're going to go back in 2,000 years of history. We're going to go right back to the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And there it is. I can stand. I can see with my imagination. I can see that mighty rock that's in front of the tomb. I see the Roman soldiers there. But there's something is happening in that tomb. The Spirit of God has entered into Jesus. And the tomb, the, the rock rolls away. And Jesus rises victorious. Uh, come on, let's clap and shout to Him. And give Him the shout of victory. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, hallelujah. Wonderful Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, what did you find that time? It's tremendous joy, isn't it? So what, how, how was that time different to the time before? came from something rose up from inside as we actually engaged our mind with spiritual truth. And your spirit, if you'll engage your mind with spiritual truth and picture it and imagine it and then give yourself to it, your spirit will immediately arise inside. So your spirit will respond to your body. Your spirit will respond to your soul. So we've got to bring our body and our soul into agreement with where we want to go. Otherwise, they resist the flow of your spirit. So it's quite simple. I've just learned to shake my body, make it wake up, and you can... Did you realize that Samson shook himself to activate the anointing? How about that? He just physically shook himself. And the power of God would come on him. And that's something. Elisha used some music. And we get the gift of tongues. Do we activate the anointing and the flow of the Holy Spirit just praying in tongues? Isn't that right? Okay, then. Now, what I want you to do, find a bit of space. And this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to walk up and down and, and start to move. Just pace a little. Just pace, 
patient, a bit of an area, and begin to pray, and begin to focus on praying in tongues strongly. Come on, let's just do it. <laughs> Okay, let's just stop. All right. Now, first of all, what did you experience? What happened? See, some things may be positive, some things may be negative. You may find that your mind and your soul argues with you. Oh, I don't want to do it. Why is he making me do it? I don't want to do this. Just sit down and teach some more. You get into the argument going on inside yourself. That is all the flesh coming against the spirit. Okay. So, so when you walk, how, how, do, how many found that the energy flowed more easily just as you're walking as you pray? It is because if you sit down too long, your spirit begins to shut down because your body's inactive. So you'll find if you get your body moving it will actually free yourself up and your spirit flows more easily. It's a very, very simple thing. But people just overlook the simple things. Hence, that's why in worship, uh, the first songs we sing are strong, clapping ones. And why are they doing that? They're to get our body awake. But, you know, I can tell you this. You don't have to sing three of those songs. If everyone for 30 seconds would clap and shout for all they're worth, you'd have the same effect. This is the thing. Isn't it interesting? And yet we can take so long because it, ta- it takes a wholehearted engagement to break the apathy and the heaviness off you. And all it takes is 30 seconds of wholehearted and it breaks. But people can go for a long time heavy and passive and shut down because they just didn't give themselves to something. Okay, here's another one you can try now. And, uh, and that is by speaking scripture aloud. Now, I'm going to give you a scripture out of one of the Psalms. I can't quite remember which I know it is. Psalm 103. And it goes like this. Now, I want you to, I'll, I'll, I'll quote it to you, and, uh, but it's something you can all pray. And I want you to pray it. And uh, you, if you don't know where it is, you can look it up in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, and so on. Huh? Now, okay, now let me ask you this. What part is he speaking to? He's speaking to his soul. So where's he speaking from? His spirit. So you see his spirit is speaking to his soul. And what is he telling his soul to do? Bless the Lord. In other words, say, wake up. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. See, he's stirring himself. And, and, and now he didn't have tongues. But he did find that by speaking to his soul, he could command his soul to what? To bless the Lord. 
So why did he have to do that? Because he didn't feel like doing that. You read through the Psalms and you find how often David was miserable. Said He said, I began to think and I pondered. And, and as I pondered on my distress, my soul became overwhelmed. Then I meditated on the works of the Lord. I remembered the great and mighty works he did. And then everything changes, you see. So you read Psalm 77, first half of the Psalm, he's in depression. As he talks, thinks about all his problems, then immediately makes a change and he starts to meditate on the works of God and his whole spirit comes back up again and faith arises. Now, why don't we just try that, eh? Now, remember, don't just say empty words. Speak to your soul like you're telling something that's rebellious in you to come into line. Now, you know it's like when a kid's rebellious. I want to do that. Straight it up, boy! You know, now, <laughs> so this is kind of military warfare. So you're going to speak into your own soul. So if you haven't got it, you can get the Bible and open up. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Hey? Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know, come on, let's go. We're on the count of three. Just get your Bible out. Let's get your Bible and open it up. It's a great one. I pray this. It wakes me up intensely. I love it. Then you find there's other things you can do. You can begin, to, we'll talk about that, taking authority over your day, commanding your day to come into order. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we'll just do that part. Are we ready? <laughs> okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Hallelujah. Okay. Oh, you can carry on here. Forgives all your iniquities. Heals all your diseases. Amen. Redeems my life. <laughs> and so on. Come on. Okay. Try it again from the top. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. Hey, come on, there we go. Your diseases. Yes, exactly. Redeems your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay, now just stop for a moment. Now, what I want you to do is to, is to, to, to uh, identify what you felt as you started to do that. What happens inside you when you spoke to your soul? How many felt? Yourself arising on the inside. How many felt a change on the inside? What did you feel? The change in the atmosphere here, wasn't there? When we gave voice to the word of God, the whole atmosphere began to shift. So let's have a look what we've noticed. We've noticed that the spirit of God inside us can be awakened and aroused and stirred. And the one that causes that is me by my choice. I can pray in tongues anytime I want. So the second thing we saw was our body tends to resist the flow of the Spirit. We can make our body be subdued by just shaking it. And, make, and you don't act, once you've learned how to stir your spirit, you could just shake yourself like that and be alive, just like that. Once you've learned to have dominion over your body and what it does to you. We, with the, the next thing we learned was that we could stir our soul. And we stirred our soul by meditating and focusing. And we stirred our soul by confessing the Word of God. And speaking directly to our soul. Now, I want you to remember that experience. That you woke up your body 
woke up your soul and stirred up the anointing within you, and it only took you a few minutes, and you did it. And you can do that every time and any time, wherever you are, and the more you practice, the quicker and easier it is to slip into that. And you break out of passivity, you break out of heaviness, and you notice that we found not only did the energy begin to flow in us, but the atmosphere around us shifted as well. So what happened? Suddenly, there's something different there. How many can feel there's a presence of God here now? Quite different. Now, you have to shift what's around in order to be able to bring the presence of God in. So it's like this. It's like if if my, my spirit is already connected to heaven, the problem with heaven coming to earth is in my soul and my body. So if I just take dominion over soul and body and in my heart believe the Spirit of God will flow, I can give voice and God comes into the room. We're not having to wait for anything to happen. We actually bring God into the place. So otherwise you're thinking like here I am on earth trying to make my way up into heaven to get near to God rather than say I'm already connected to God. I've just got to let what is within me find expression in the earth so the Spirit of God can flow. Not trying to break through to God. I'm trying to break through the resistance in my body and soul and the spiritual atmosphere to express what I already have. We are already seated in the heavenly places. We are already joined to the Lord, one spirit to the Lord. We're already connected into heaven. You don't have to fight your way to get there. Jesus got you there. What you've got to do is find a way to break the resistance for that truth expressing through your life. I found that helpful. Remember, it's about your thinking. So when you stand to think, if you think, oh, here I am. You see, when when your spirit gets shut down by your body and soul, you become very self-conscious and not God-conscious. And your soul and body are causing it. Now, if I would just change my thinking and set it on the word of God, set it on the truth, I'm actually in heavenly, but I'm in the spirit world already. I'm already connected to God. I'm already one spirit with the Lord. Hold him Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Now you see, immediately yeah, it comes alive. But you have to practice until it becomes natural and normal and it's easy. Okay? So we do it one more time. So we're just going to quote that verse again. You can go on quoting it if you like. Then we'll pray in tongues for a bit. And let's notice what we find in the atmosphere and, and around. Then I'll show you something else you can do in tongues straight after that, and you'll find it'll be quite different again. You ready? Okay, then. So what are we going to do? We'll just quote the verse. Ready? Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, for all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all my diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with glory and honor? Oh, hallelujah! Oh, bashaka bosika ba 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 ba, ella ba 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 shika la ba da, ella ba 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 shika la ba da, ella ba 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 shika la ba da, ella ba 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 shika la ba da. Thank you, Lord. Okay, just stop now. Now I want you to do something a little bit different now. Now we know when we pray in tongues, the Spirit of God is praying through us. 
Now, what I want you to do now is just use your language and tongues as a language of devotion and adoration. So now we're not going to pray strongly, assertively, forcefully. We're going to pray tenderly and fix your mind that Jesus Christ is right there before you. You're in his presence. And so you're just flowing from your heart to just love him. And feel as you do that what happens and what happens in the atmosphere. Let's just pray for about 30 seconds and just give yourself to loving him and expressing through this heavenly language how precious, how special, how wonderful he is for all he has done, the privilege of walking with him, the privilege of being his representative, the privilege of serving him. Let's just honor him. This is we speak in our language now. Kiela baba baba shi karabadiyatai. Allah bakarabadiyatai. 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 Yes, Lord. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Yes, hallelujah. All right, just stop right now. Okay, now what are you, how do you sense the atmosphere now? What are you experiencing now? What are you finding is happening? How many feel that there's a real sense of God being very close to you? How many can feel that right now? How many felt like you'd like to break into song? <laughs> isn't that great, isn't it? And you just feel like there's a song just rising up. He is Lord, you know. Just, you just want to honor him. You see, and that's a different flow again, isn't it? That's just worshiping. So we enjoy his presence. Now you notice uh, we deliberately didn't have musicians here. Musicians are wonderful. They're great help. But what I wanted to do is to get you to see what's possible for you to do. Because most of the time you don't have a musician. It's just you. But you can do things. You can make your body, command your body. You can command your body to wake up and stop being so resistant and stubborn and tired. You can command your soul and focus your soul. So your soul begins to engage God instead of feeling sorry for himself. And your spirit can arise. And we feel the presence of God very quickly. And as you feel his presence, you reach out and just love on him. He's reaching out to just enjoy him. Find natural language and find the language of the spirit just to honor him and value him or speak tenderly to him. You can feel his presence here very strongly. So this is about... The first person, the first realm you have to assert your authority is over yourself. Over your body, which plays hard and difficult at times. Over your soul, which is very self-centered and sorry for itself and uh, self-directed. And if we can take dominion and begin to cause our soul to flow towards God and cause our body to respond and yield and cooperate, we can begin to enjoy the presence of God. We feel his presence very easily. Of course, when you feel his presence, then the anointing begins to flow. So it's not hard now. If I just need to catch her around me now, if I was just to lay hands now, just hold her, oh, presence of God, just touch her, Lord, your anointing fall upon her right now. There's a presence here, presence of God. Now, you and I are called to bring this presence wherever we go. 
but you've got to practice it on your own first of all until it's natural for you to be able to just engage and feel the presence of God. Now, some of us may have blocks. For some, it'll be a lot easier than others. Some may have blocks. Those blocks, we'll, we'll touch on those tomorrow, and we'll look at how you could be, how to deal with some of those things and how to break through some of those things. Amen? Give someone a hug, and we'll go into session two. Okay, all right. Thank you for letting me know that. We'll have to address that tomorrow. All right, then. So I want you to uh, open up then on page four in second session, and we're looking at identifying your spiritual territory, identifying your spiritual territory. And this is uh, very important for you because it's important to know what God has entrusted me with and what's my territory is mine. And we'll look at some things in this. So the first one, 2.1, every believer has the privilege of moving supernaturally. Not all do, but we do have the privilege. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man or each one for the profit of all. So how many people is God willing to give a manifestation of a Spirit to? Every person. So notice, is given to every person. So it's written as a reality, this is a spiritual reality, the presence of God or the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God is given to every man. So no one is left outside. So notice it's not something I have to do to work up. It's something that's given to me. I just need to learn how to receive. So every believer is given the privilege of bringing the supernatural dimension of God into the earth. Every believer, not just some. So, well, it's... Is that for me? Well, you've got to, your experience may not be that, but why don't we start with what the Word of God says and see if we can believe that our experience would come up rather than dropping the Word of God down to our, our experience. So every believer has given something to advance the kingdom of God. Every believer is called to bring the life of God to other people. Everyone, everyone. It's, it's our opportunity to do that. And so to do that, we need to learn how to. And uh, we'll perhaps touch on some of that tomorrow, how to just flow with the Holy Spirit and release the anointing of the Spirit of God to touch people. But the first thing we want to establish is every believer has the potential to flow in the supernatural and bring the realm of the Spirit of God or the realm of heaven into the earth. Every believer. Now imagine if every believer in every church, when they went into the community wherever they lived, started to pray and act in a way that brought the presence of God there. That would have to make a difference would have to make a difference it's just the trouble is that we just don't do it we just get busy and overlook so the first thing then is every believer can bring something of heaven into the earth we can bring the reality of God into wherever we are that's every every believer's privilege second thing is that every believer has a spiritual territory I'll use the word territory but we will look at the original language and see there's a particular words they use, but we'll just call it territory because it's something that's easy to remember. You have a spiritual territory. It would be good if you were to consider this, what is that territory? 
what specifically is my territory? What does God require of me to do in that territory? And if I don't do it, what happens? Those are good questions to ask, aren't they? What is my territory? What am I supposed to do in that territory? And if I don't do it, what are some of the things that happen as a result of that? That's a good kind of questions to ask, isn't it, eh? All right, then. So the first thing is we'll read in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13. And Paul is writing, and he says, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere God has appointed to us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we're not overextending ourselves, as our authority didn't extend to you, but it was to you that we came with the gospel, not boasting of things beyond what God gave to us or our measure, not boasting of other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith increased, we shall be enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in regions beyond you. And we not boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Now, it's not easy language to get to understand. So we're just going to read, identify a couple of words that he uses there and then explain what he's saying. Uh, he uses the word measure. We'll not boast beyond our measure. That word measure is a word in the original language called metron, from which we get the word meter, a meter rule. The word metron is like a measure. It's like if you wanted to measure out something to someone, you would just stick the cup in and you'd measure it up and then you had an idea, this is the bit that I measure out to you. And so you can imagine I might have several different cups. So there's a glass over there and this glass can hold a measure of water. But if I had a jug, aha, now I've got a bigger measure of water. So the measure then, God, what he's saying, the word metron there means a measure, something that's apportioned by God to a person. So God measures out to you something for you. So your measure is different to mine. It's unique to each person. And he says, We've, uh, 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 we won't boast beyond our measure, uh, but within the limits of the sphere God has appointed to us. And that word sphere is the word canon or canon, and it means uh, a, a bounded area that God has measured out for you to operate in. So Paul's saying something like this. I have been given by God an area or territory that's been measured to me by God for me to operate in. That's my responsibility. And he says, so my measure reaches and includes you. But he says, I won't go beyond what God has given me. I'll stay within the sphere God has given me. Any idea? So he's saying, God has measured to me an area of influence. And that territory or area of influence includes you. And we've brought you the gospel. And we're praying that your, God, your faith will grow, and if your faith grows, then the influence will grow and my territory will increase. So he's saying, I didn't go into anyone else's territory. I've actually pioneered, and this is my own territory. So he's identifying, I have a territory God measured out for me to minister in and bring God's life into, and I don't go past that. Jesus himself, you notice when uh, the woman, the Canaanite woman came to him and said, uh, uh, the Syrophoenician woman came and said, would you heal my daughter? And he said, I'm not sent to the Gentiles. I'm sent to the, to the, the, the house of Israel. So in other words, he's saying, my sphere of operation in this period of history is for Israel. But her faith was so strong, she literally pulled him out and he ministered anyway and she got the miracle because of her faith. So faith was what enabled her to pull a miracle out of the sphere of influence into her sphere, into where she was. But Jesus defined his sphere of influence. It was Israel. Now, after the gospel, after he rose from the dead, he's now sent the gospel to go everywhere through every believer. So you have a territory, a sphere of influence. So you have a particular 
territory God has measured to you. Now, this would help Christians stop being competitive with one another if they recognized, actually, I have my own territory that God's given me. I have my own area I'm responsible for. I should mind my business and not be worried about someone else's business or even envious of what God has given them. So what God has measured to Brian, he's measured to Brian, not to me. So why should I be envious of that? Am I going to be angry with God because God did that? No, God knows what Brian is capable of, and God has given him giftings and a sphere of influence, and that's his to operate in. And I should rejoice in it and encourage him in it. You see, otherwise we look at what others have, their giftings and their influence, and we get jealous of it. Oh, how come they've got that and blah, blah, blah. We get into that negative thinking. Why don't we actually say, actually, God has given me giftings. He's given me the capacity to move supernaturally. And he has given me a territory to operate in. It's my job to discover what he's given me and the territories given me and to learn how to do what he wants me to do in that area. This would save a lot of frustration because a lot of people sit in church and they're waiting for some ministry, waiting for some great thing. And the most of the rest of their life is in the community. They haven't recognized that is their sphere of influence. That is their territory. For example, I'm just using Brian. There's no one I know in our church lives where Brian lives. And there's that, yeah, apart from you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the two are one, so I just got sort of like that. Uh, and in the workplace, of course, he works in a partnership, but there are people that he connects with that probably um, Bill doesn't connect with. There are clients he has. So he gets to meet people that I don't get to meet most of the time. And he gets to meet some people I do meet, so our territories overlap. So where they overlap is what's the church. The rest of it is his territory, which is unique to him. So your job is to discover your territory and find what God gave you to do in your territory and then do it. Now that releases everyone to ministry. And most people are waiting for someone to get them going into something. In other words, set it up for me so I can do it. That's okay when you're younger. But as you grow, you should actually start to say, well, God, what have you gifted me? And what territory have you given me? And how can I do something in that area? Okay, so let's have, have a look at our territory. So your, your uh, metron or is your territory God measured you, gave you responsibility for. Your metron is your ministry assignment. So whatever your ministry assignment is, that's your responsibility. That's where you are. That's where you have an influence. And it's usually a specific location or a group of people or a position of responsibility. It's usually a specific place, location. It involves people and it involves a responsibility. Place, people, responsibility. So my Metron is not just here. It goes right up into Asia, primarily into Asia. That's where I have huge influence. Far more influence there than here. So I have a stronger Metron and a bigger Metron in Asia than I have here, here. It's a few hundred there. It's multi-thousands. And so how did you get to do that? I don't know. God, someone invited me just to go there, and then God told me to connect with someone, and then it's just gone from there. It grows as you actually fill out and fulfill what God gave you to do. So if, if you realize that you have a territory that God has given you and you discover it, and then begin to think, what can I do to fill that out and bring forth fruit and subdue whatever's in it? that's negative and against the kingdom of God, you're busy all the rest of your life. It wouldn't matter if you have no position, you still have a territory. You still have something that God's called you to do. So you see, whether I'm the pastor of this church or not, I still have a territory God's given me. And so I want to try and identify that. So how would you identify your territory? Notice what Paul says in, in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 10. 
I don't boast of things beyond measure or in other men's labors, but have hope that as uh, your faith has increased, we should be greatly enlarged in our own sphere. So he's talking about his own labors and someone else's labors. So he recognized his own territory, what God had given to him. He said, I'm called to the Gentiles. God's given. That's an amazing thing. He's full of the gospel, he's full of the Bible, and he's sent to the Gentiles. So Paul was very careful not to go beyond his territory. Now, it is important that you don't invade someone else's responsibility. When you do that, it becomes controlling and it becomes witchcraft. I was counseling one person, and it was about direction for this person's life. And the biggest challenge that they faced was that everyone in their life had told them what to do. What, what, what they needed to be encouraged was to actually identify what God had wired in them and then to step up and own it and then start to fulfill that assignment. You understand? You can't, your territory is not what someone told you it was. It's what something God put in your heart to do. That's why all ministry must flow out of our heart. Our heart has to be in it or we're just fulfilling a duty and it's a dead thing. So uh, Paul was careful not to go beyond his territory because there are two problems. One, if you go beyond your territory, you're into someone else's area that you're not responsible for and meddling with their business, then you open the door for spirits of witchcraft to operate. And likewise, if you don't occupy and take responsibility for your area, then again, spirits come in and invade, as we'll see in a moment. So your territory includes everything that God wants you to be responsible for. Say it again. Your territory is everything God has given you a specific responsibility for. So let's try and identify it really simply. So here's the first thing is yourself. You're responsible for yourself. Now that seems sort of an obvious thing, but actually people forget it. You're responsible for your body, to have, have dominion over your body and to care for your body. If your body breaks down because of ill health, you cannot fulfill your other parts of your assignment. So you need to bring your body and discipline your body and learn how to uh, keep your body healthy so you can fulfill your assignment. Your soul is your, is your territory. Your soul is, includes your mind, your thought life, your imaginations, includes your emotions, includes your will. They are all your territory. You must govern that territory. So if you've got an anger problem, your territory is out of control. You, your territory has been invaded by something. So your soul is a vital part of your territory, uh, your skills, the skills you have are part of your territory. You're responsible for them. And so if God has given you, say, a musical ability, develop it and cultivate it and grow it and have dominion over that area until it becomes productive and fruitful. Do training. A lot of people get this thing that you come to the Lord now and say so everything natural is lost. No, actually, God uses all your natural skills. They're not just natural. They're part of you and your spirit being their spiritual. No, don't sort of try to uh, minimize natural abilities that we have because that's what God gave you to earn a living. It's what gave you, God gave you to make a mark with your life. He just enhances it by the power of his spirit so it's more productive, but you need to develop it. So your metron, firstly, then is your own spirit, mind, uh, your body, and so on. Okay, another area is your relationship with your spouse. Now that is your metron, that is your territory where the two become one. Now, that doesn't mean you have the right to command or boss or have dominion over your spouse. What it does mean is that what's happening in your spouse's life is part of the territory God wants you to care for. So, therefore, you are responsible for that whole realm. 
the realm of what's going on in that relationship. Another area is your family. Now, we're not responsible for the choices our children make. That, that's their territory. But we are responsible for the culture, the values, the training that goes on in the home. That's our territory. You can't delegate that to the church. You may let the church do a little bit on Sunday, but actually the primary training is in the home. You can't let the schools take over that. The primary place of training is the home. Your children are your children, not the church's children or the, or the school's children. They are your children. Now, once you see that, you'll make it your business to know what's going on. And if something's going wrong, you'll speak up because it's your territory and you're going to have a voice in your territory. And often in the education system, it can be intimidating to parents. But my experience over many years, both as a teacher and a parent, is the parents know what's going on in their kids and uh, they should speak up if they're not happy about what's happening. And we need to have a voice into those areas. Sometimes... Uh, people in education can treat you as though you don't know anything. But I found parents do know a lot. And they know a lot about what's going on in their kids and what's right for their kids and what isn't right for them. So, so you understand these are your areas. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to take ownership. And so let's keep going on. So your finances are your territory. It's not just a matter of something casual. Your finances need to be cultivated and grown and developed and managed and so on. Your home is your territory. So your home has an atmosphere in it. The atmosphere is created by how you develop your relationships, what you permit in the home. There's a whole realm there where your home can be a place where the presence and peace of God is and where people can come and it's a ministry center. So your home is your territory and God gave you a home. We've always believed and bought houses that could be a place where people could come and find hospitality and ministry. Sometimes it gets a bit busy and I have to get a break, but... On the other hand, it is a place of ministry. It is our territory within which we are called to use what God gave us to advance his kingdom. You see, can you see, we haven't even talked about anything in the church yet. We're just identifying aspects of your territory. Imagine if you were to identify each one and begin to think what you could do to build, cultivate, develop this area. Amazing, wouldn't it? Okay, then your possessions. Your possessions need maintenance and management, and they're part of your territory your job and your workplace. Now, you have a great responsibility in the workplace. Why? Because if you're a believer, you are responsible to do something about the spiritual atmosphere of the place. If there is demonic activity there, you do have authority to address it and deal with it as a representative of the kingdom of heaven. You can speak in it. We'll show you how to do that tomorrow. You can you can address it and change it. And I've proven it. I've proved it with a very young Christian. Uh, it's not difficult to shift a spiritual atmosphere in a place because you have the right and the authority and your delegated authority to do it any idea okay what about else your ministry well that's an area of serving in the church or gifting and skill that god gives you that takes you outside the church uh, so your ministry let's get away from the spiritualizing too much your ministry in other words better way to say it would be your service for the kingdom your service for the kingdom when you use the word ministry, it sounds very important and special, but it actually, the word minister means servant. Uh, actually, if I can make it even clearer, it's the one who comes around and, and does something like this. It says, I see your cup. It's just empty. Can I just, excuse me a minute, can I just help you? And just, there we go. There you go. And I'm sure that'll be much better now. See? Now, that's what ministry is. People get the wrong idea, but ministry means, it's the word uh, diakano to wait on the tables to meet the needs of people when you're waiting on the table who's important you or them 
that the person who's sitting at the table is the important one. You're just the one waiting on the table. They're the one having the feed. They're the one who's being looked after. So ministry, the word used to describe ministry is to wait on tables. It's to have a servant or heart of a servant to look after the needs of other people. It's nothing to do about how important you are. Insecure people with no identity get a big head about having some big ministry. I'm of this, I'm of that. Oh, great. Ministry means wait on tables. You know, and Jesus modeled it. He, he washed people's feet. That's ministry. So you can do miracles and wash feet. You can do them all. No one's too important. So, but this is, so your ministry, what God called you to do, is the territory that God wants you to grow and develop. And this is your metron. So, for example, with Graham and Jesse, God's put it in their heart to go out on the streets and to meet people on the streets. So God has given them a whole territory to begin to invade and to go into. And that requires they do certain things. Now, everyone here can have a ministry. Within the church, of course, there's some areas of serving uh, that we need to fulfill in order just to keep the family functioning properly. Places of children and youth and young adults and, and sound and technical gear and serving in the car. All these serving areas, but they're all part of just keeping the household going. But beyond that, we also have service within the community. And where God called you to serve, whether it's a place in the house or a place in the community or both, that is your territory. And so you're responsible then to govern your territory. You say, well, I'm not in charge of the ministry. But that doesn't mean to say you don't actually have a sense of responsibility for it. You see, you're called to be a king, not a slave. A slave waits to be told what to do. A king designs how things could be better. It's in, it's see the whole attitude around this area? So you have a territory. So uh, you start to identify your territory. And then, of course, uh, the reality is that uh, you also have a territory or an engagement in the community. And I've discovered wherever I am, God has an assignment for me there. Now, that's a hard one to keep in mind because you just get busy doing stuff. But if you can imagine, you ever seen an embassy uh, uh, like the American embassy or the uh, French embassy? If you go to an embassy, it's an interesting thing. The, the, the piece of land actually is foreign territory. So you can't go in there without permission because you're going into another country, essentially. You're going into, an, you're going to the embassy, the representation or the representatives of the government of the United States. So when you go in there, that's actually foreign territory. Now, have a think about this. You have the Spirit of God in you, and you are an ambassador, a representative of the kingdom of heaven. So wherever you are, think about this, wherever you are, then this is my territory. And so therefore, I can minister and have influence wherever I go. I'm authorized, wherever I am, is part of my territory. So I may be just here, and then there's a group. So this is my territory, a temporary assignment. So you'll have permanent assignments, which we've talked about, your own body, soul, and spirit, your home, your family, marriage. Then you have temporary ones wherever you are. So you go to a certain place, meet some people, and for a short time, you're on assignment. God, what do you want me to do? Have a think about this. Jesus stopped at the well, but his assignment hadn't stopped. He stopped at the well. A woman came by. The disciples had walked past her because they were caught up with what they were doing. He saw someone in need and in a few moments had a conversation with her that turned her into an evangelist, changed her life. Why is that? Because he had a sense of being on assignment all the time. We tend to divide our life up, church life, rest of life, rather than saying actually kingdom life 24-7. Wherever I am, 
I'm called to actually bring God there. I'm called to engage with it, and this is my territory for the moment. And so you'll have some assignments are permanent ones, but the majority are temporary. Some last only a little while. I meet a group of people, and I have an opportunity to produce something that will bring blessing to them. Or I may have a group of people, and I'm with them for a longer period of time. Any idea? And once you start to see that, you realize, well, what have you called me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do here? What's my assignment here? And Jesus said, I do all the things I see the Father doing. This is great, isn't it, eh? So now what, is your, what are your key responsibilities in your assignment? So you have a territory. What are your key assignments? So the first place to look is to go back into the Garden of Eden, and we'll have a look at what God told Adam to do. Let's get it here in Genesis 2.15. Got it? Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, to tend and to keep it. So they were given a territory. It's a garden. And they were given two primary responsibilities. Number one, tend it. Now here's what that means. It means literally to serve. It means to work as an act of worship. So work, there's no such thing as spiritual work and other work. It's all service to God. So when you, uh, you consider you have a career or whatever job you're doing, that's an act of worship to God when you give it to him and keep him involved with it. It's your act of worship. Uh, it means to cultivate or develop. So you have the idea of a piece of land that needs some turning over and some seeds planted in it and watering and it'll produce something. Second thing, he was called to keep it, to guard or watch over it or protect it from an enemy. So that implies that the territory, even the territory Adam had, one, needed cultivating and developing and required his creativity. Two, there was an enemy which was real and present and he had to protect his area or his territory from what that enemy could do. Now, so have a think about that. He was given responsibility to cultivate. He's given responsibility to protect. So he failed in his governing when he did these things. He became silent and passive. That's how he failed. And then he eventually disobeyed, listened to the wrong voice. Uh, but he was silent. When the devil was doing all the talking to Eve, he remained silent. So one of the big problems men have is they remain silent and passive in the face of the enemy and end up with huge problems in their lives and their families. So what were the consequences of a failure to govern his territory? Number one, broken relationship. He damaged his relationship with God and with his wife. Secondly, loss of spiritual authority. The authority he did have that God gave him was now lost. It was yielded up to the devil who claimed and wielded it against Jesus later on. Uh, now, here's the thing you need to understand about. If you give up your spiritual authority, the devil will use it against you. And so a person who does not stand up and lead in the area God called them to lead will be oppressed in the area he's called to lead. It's never neutral. You arise and stand up in it, or it works and pushes down on you. You have to learn how to stand up and to govern that area. And so he lost his spiritual authority, become used against him. Uh, the third thing was oppression and sickness. So once Satan had usurped the authority, then the next thing he used it to, and so death entered in, sickness entered in, and so on. And finally, generational problems. Now, we're looking at Adam. Now, how about thinking about this? What would you think if I said this? that in your territory you are called to do two primary things, cultivate it to be fruitful and guard it from demonic invasion. And if you fail to guard it from demonic invasion, then the consequences are in your territory there will exist broken and damaged relationships. 
you will have a loss of authority and a sense of powerlessness and oppression in that situation. And the problems that come could be generational. In other words, your children for generations could be affected by your failure to govern. This is an incredible responsibility on men in terms of spiritual leadership in the home to govern the home environment, the spiritual environment, and not to let their wife take up the responsibility because they gave it up. Men need to actually learn how to lead their home. And it's the failure to lead creates the problems that we see in our culture now. So think about that. And of course, Jesus um, reinforced this. I won't read the whole story there, but you're aware of the, the parable of the pounds where the nobleman went to a far country and, and he entrusted his goods to his servants. And when he came back, he called them to account. And we saw in that parable how uh, the servants that had been productive were given more. The servant which uh, just only conserved actually lost what he had. And Jesus reinforced again, if you don't become productive and govern your area of uh, responsibility, it does go away from you. You lose and diminish your authority and capacity to serve and minister. So he reinforced the same kind of principle. So putting it again this way, if you don't guard and govern your territory, there will be damage in it. There will be oppression in it. The consequences could be generational and they could result in having oppression and sickness. Think about this. You don't govern your body, you'll suffer ill health, then your life will be shortened. You don't govern your soul, you'll end up with torments and troubles and pressures and anxieties and fears and all kinds of things going on in your soul. You don't govern your finances and protect it from the enemy that will come against you. You'll have financial problems that can affect all other areas of your life. So each one of these areas, if you fail in your metron to govern it and cultivate it, the consequences spread. But if you arise in that area, then blessing comes and great positive impact comes. So let's go through here. What does it take then to govern your spiritual territory? Governing your spiritual territory. I want to give you about five keys. They may not apply in each and every one situation, but these are what I call important keys. Now, the first one is, is probably one of the most important, although people wouldn't know this. The first one is you need to hold your territory in your heart in prayer. I want to read you something in Philippians, Philippians 1 verse 3. And Paul's writing the Philippians, he said this, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now look at this. Being confident of this very thing that he who begun a good work in you, that's God, that's the Holy Spirit, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, why could he be so confident that the work that he had begun would continue. Look what he says next one. It is right for me to think this way because I hold you in my heart. Inasmuch in my chains and defense of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is a witness how greatly I long for you with all affection in Christ. Now what he's saying is this. He said, I came to you. You were the territory I God sent me into. He said, I sowed the gospel and the spirit of God moved and touched your lives. And I'm confident God will keep working in you. Why is this? He said, because I am holding you in my heart and prayer and you receive the grace that's on my life flows to you. Now he's writing as an apostle with apostolic grace. And he's saying, because I hold you in my heart, 
I can be confident that my prayer will release something in your life. Now, what does it mean to hold in your heart? Well, you can see it through the language he uses. He says, I hold you in my heart with affection. He says, I hold you in my heart with great joy as I think about you. I pray for you. So what does it mean to hold in your heart? To hold in your heart means that from within your heart, you welcome, embrace, and love that person, that uh, responsibility you have. Let me just explain to you what that would mean if you didn't do that. It's very easy for a parent to get offended with one of their teenagers. And if you get an offense, you build a wall and you wall the person out of your heart and then you expose your teenager. They are now no longer under your governing and protection. They're now exposed to spiritual oppression. The moment you let go of someone out of your heart, what happens is the spiritual dynamic in the relationship changes. If I hold you in my heart with love and affection and bless you, the grace of my life will be released to you. If I get offended or distracted or refocus somewhere else and let you go out of my heart, then you feel let go. You actually feel it. I'll give you another example of it. How many of you would have had the experience of a father coming home and he's arrived home from work, but for about an hour he's not emotionally present in the house? He's there but preoccupied. You know what that's like? Now, what do you experience when someone is there with you, but they're preoccupied? You do not feel their heart. You don't feel the flow of their spirit. They are disconnected from you. There's no flow from them to you. Now, why is it a man would come home to his wife and children and then not be really there? Very simply, he's focused his heart somewhere else. Spent hours and hours and hours focused on work, comes home, he's still engaged in work. But it's not hard to shift it. Ever heard the words of that song, I've left my heart in San Francisco? It means I've shifted, but my heart's still back there because I now have not really let go of where I was. My heart is still there. And so uh, we can. what you focus your heart on, that's what your heart will open to. So I just taught men very simply, on your way home, instead of rushing home, drive home slowly, consciously, let go every worry, every care, everything you've got going on in your life and begin to then picture your wife and picture your children and begin to hold that in your heart and thank God for them and begin to imagine what it will be like to go into the home and be with them all. Your heart will redirect and engage. So our heart turns. It's quite moves. And we can embrace or we can let go. A woman who's got an unsaved husband, it's very easy to let your husband go out of your heart because you see what's wrong and constantly it becomes a source of irritation. And so instead of your heart embracing him and holding him in your heart and releasing the grace of God, instead of that, there's a wall which he can feel and there's no flow into your territory of the grace of God. The biggest things that cause these blocks in relationships are offenses and then distractions. The life just gets refocused somewhere else. Oh, we get real quiet now. <laughs> This is very true. So if I cannot bring, I'll give you another example. When you pray for an unsaved husband or family member or whatever, if you are angry with them and disturbed about them and only see what's wrong with them, when you pray for them, you won't be holding them in your heart. You'll be holding an offense and judgment in your heart. There'll be no grace released into that territory. You have to actually see them saved, see them before God, see them with the hand of God on their life, see them by faith. 
and then you can release the life of God into the territory. So this is a big problem for many people because offenses and judgments call the heart to block out. And then when you pray, you're just going through the motions because your heart is not there loving and embracing them. You can feel it when it's like that. You feel the wall. You feel the block. So what he's saying is very simple. So the thing about your territory is take ownership of it and welcome it and welcome it like a friend. Not reluctantly, I've got to do this. I was, I was talking to one person and uh, they were having major troubles with their money and, and we couldn't work out why because the person knew finances, knew how to manage finances, but just couldn't manage his own finances. And then we found out what the real reason was. Here's the real reason. I could not believe this, and almost it was just amazing. And the person trained in finance, and yet when we came to deal with the issue of finances, this is what they said. This is what they came out. My father put all his life into making money, and we never had time with him. I came to the conclusion money is evil and creates problems for you. And so what he did then, he had no heart to actually operate money and had no power over it. So money just went from him like that until the day he recognized what he believed in his heart. He came to a judgment. The judgment was not much. The problem was not the money. The problem was his father's preoccupation with the money at the expense of the family and his judgment of his father. When he dealt with that, he was able to get a grip around money and start to manage and start to have dominion over his money. You have to have it in your heart. You've got to celebrate and welcome the responsibility before you can do anything much to change it. So think about it. Until you actually take responsibility and celebrate whatever is your territory into your heart, you won't do the other things needed. You won't have the power to do it. It's got to be in your heart. It's the same thing with reaching unsaved people. If they don't get in our heart, then we won't have any effect with them. You've actually got to have your territory in your heart. Jesus held his disciples in his heart. He still holds us in his heart. I've written you on my hand. How can I forget you? God has us in his heart. And so one of the first things is, is to get something heart. Now, to get something in your heart, sometimes you've actually got to face that you've got resistance or reaction or judgments or offenses and repent of them and say, God, forgive me for not taking responsibility. I repent of that. I come now. I put my arms around and just welcome that responsibility into my life. I thank you. It's something you've given me to cultivate and to govern, and I purpose now to do it. I have been irresponsible, I repent, and I decide to do it. I remember counseling one man, and there was a major control and witchcraft operating in his marriage. And uh, this was the thing that I counseled him. I said, whatever is in your marriage, you have allowed to be there. And so it's not whether there's something operating in your wife that's the problem. The real problem is you have not stood up and embraced what God called you to take in responsibility for. You need to repent of your failure, step up inside, take responsibility, embrace your wife and the responsible leadership in your heart, and then begin to pray as, you, as if you are in a role of leadership, and it will produce some result. Whew, pretty quiet now, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> so if you've absconded or given up responsibility or abdicated, then your territory will be overrun. And you have only yourself. So you can pray all you like until you own up and take responsibility for what God called you to be responsible for. That's why you've got to know what you're responsible for. I'm not responsible for others' decisions, but I am responsible for how I deal with them and interact with them. 
Here's the second thing is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. See, whatever God territory God has given you, he can give you the ideas of what you need to do. Jesus said, I'm doing all the things I see the Father doing. Holy Spirit constantly spoke with him. So ask the Holy Ghost for wisdom, what to do. Holy Ghost, I don't know what to do. Help me, just show me, drop it in my heart, something I can do to help in the situation. Thirdly, develop a vision. Look and work out a picture of what's possible in that area. I think uh, without any kind of uh, imagination about what it could be or envisaging what it can be, we won't properly cultivate that territory. So begin to picture what it could be. Get ideas. Write some things down. Your territory is unique to you. Your neighborhood is unique to you. Wherever you are is unique to you. Ask the Holy Ghost to give you some ideas about what you could do. Start to write them down. Start to think of the things that you could do. And the goals will focus your attention and give your prayers, substance, and your faith something to work with. Uh, a third uh, thing, a fourth thing you can do is, uh, is to learn, and we'll show you more of this, is arise in your spirit and begin to use your voice to speak into the spirit world. Now, there's two areas we need to speak. One is whatever spirits occupy your territory that oppose you, just speak and subdue them, and we'll show you how to do it. And the second thing is we need to learn how to release the word of God over the territory we're in. Now, this is one of the most powerful things. I, I don't want us to get focused on demons, although we were going to touch on them more, um, quite a lot more tomorrow. What you need to do is, if, if this, suppose this is all my territory here and I've got this ground to cultivate and God opens my eyes and I see, oh my goodness, the whole of my territory is full of wicked spirits. Look at that everywhere. They're just all looking and glaring at me. Okay, then now there's two things I need to do. I should not be focused on the spirits. I just need to dispossess them and put into this territory what God wants me to put in. So that it always has two things to it. One is... I need to address the spirits and drive them out. And two, I need to declare God's word over my situation. And this is what's called building in the spirit, taking the word of God. Remember that God created this whole world by speaking. Christians continually forget the power of speaking the word of God. But tonight, when I got you all to speak strongly, bless the Lord, O my soul. Everything within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Don't forget any of his benefits. See, something happens in the atmosphere. We release the word of God. Now you'll find all the miracles in the Bible, someone spoke. This is just over and over and over and over again. We'll see, I'll show you the pattern. There's revelation comes. In other words, you get the mind of God. You speak out with faith in your heart and things begin to happen. Now, one of the most neglected areas in our Christian or spiritual walk is this area of arising with authority and commanding our day, commanding demonic assignments to be diminished and commanding or releasing the word of God into our circumstances and environment. It is the most powerful way to shift things. I guarantee you, if you start to do it, things will shift around your life. It's like most Christians pray and hope that somehow their prayers will be answered, hope that somehow God will come through instead of standing up and saying, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ, and I speak now and drive every spirit out of that place, and I release the word of God into my situation. You just do that day by day. Start to take dominion over your day, and I'll show you how to pray, and we'll give you some keys on how you would pray and what you would do. I tell you, things will change around you. It won't always be pleasant at the beginning. Demons don't always leave easily, and they often create a fuss before they depart, but they will depart. And you notice in the Old Testament, 
They had to possess the land. So God said, I've given it to you. You have to enter it and drive out what's already in there and then plant and sow and reap the land. So tomorrow we'll share with you some aspects of that, look at areas where there are resistance, what to do about it, and get you some more activations in the spirit to get you going. Amen? This is, a, this is one of the most greatest privileges we've got. I tell you, God showed me this stuff when I was a very young Christian, and I saw my whole career just go up like that, and everything around me just become incredibly blessed. And uh, I know it works, and I know if you'll engage, it will work. And uh, don't be like one of the guys I told him how to pray, and uh, came back a week later, and he said, it doesn't work. I said, really, it doesn't work. It's, uh, it didn't work. Okay, well, I, why didn't it work? He said, well... He said, after I started praying, things got really worse. I said, really? I said, don't you realize you stepped up and started to engage the battle, and at the first blow on the nose, you retreated and gave up. So that's all that's happened. To stay the battle, you must win. You will win. God's decreed you will win. You've just got to step up into it. Amen? Father, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for these mighty men and women who will arise and learn how to assert the authority in the spirit world and see things change in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's give a lot of claps, shall we? Thank you, Lord.